You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. A twelve-legged caterpillar crawling in the mud and stuffing itself with leaves mysteriously transforms into a magnificent butterfly. What once was hanging upside down on a nondescript tree branch is now flying above the trees, looking down at what once was. It is magnificently a new creation.
my gosh, and I have to walk out after that? Thank you, Amira, that was so fun and banned. My name's Tracy, I'm the Discipleship Director here at the Clinton Township Campus, and I get to welcome you and say we're so glad you're here and those of you who are viewing online. So we are in week three of our Broken and Beautiful series, right? And we've been looking at how God can take the broken pieces of our lives, broken moments, and, and reveal his grace and his transformation in our lives and create a whole new life for us. Well, today we're looking at we're a new creation. And kind of like the butterfly video, it showed you that plain old caterpillar who emerged into something that was so much more than it was before. Flying, it could fly anywhere, right? Whereas it was stuck on a leaf before that. Well, that's what God wants to do in our lives. That's what we believe God wants to do in our lives. Transform us into more than we could ever imagine we could be. And like Amira just saying, she heard the words of the song said, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life. And we believe the way that that happens is through Jesus Christ. And Craig is going to teach on that today. But it, before we get into that, I do have a couple things to tell you about. Well, actually, you know it's a greeting. It's a few things. Okay, so listen up. I'll try to make it as interesting as I can. And if you forget any of it, you just have to go out to the hub right in the middle of the lobby, and they'll, they'll answer all your questions about the things that I shared. And if you're brand new, we even have a little gift for you. So we're going into our next series, and it's about anticipating something. Wouldn't you agree that we all enjoy a sense of anticipation? Like adults, you've got a calendar, maybe you've got a birthday coming up. Today I'm going home and I'm anticipating seeing my new grandson who's just a week old who's coming over to our house. Anticipation just builds the experience, right? Well, as Christians, we believe in the tradition of Advent. And Advent is an, an anticipation of, anyone know? Christmas and the birth of Jesus Christ. And that is something that is so awesome to recognize that, to experience it. So we wanted to explain it even a little better than I just did. So take a look at this video. Throughout the centuries, followers of Jesus established a yearly calendar to create rhythms that help them to understand and experience the context and significance of Jesus. Year after year, this approach to faith created meaning and helped prepare people to celebrate his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Advent is the start of this church calendar. The word Advent means coming or arrival, and it's a special time of anticipation of the birth of Jesus and it also hints at his return. Candles are an important symbol of the Advent season. The light reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world who pushes back the darkness and brings new life and hope. As we light the wick of each candle, we're getting closer and closer to Christmas. During the first week of Advent, we light a candle symbolizing hope, a hope that's found in Jesus alone. During the second week, we light a candle symbolizing peace, a peace our world so desperately needs. The third week is joy, and we even call Christmas Mary because the birth of Jesus is the ultimate cause for joy. And then on the fourth week, we light the candle symbolizing love, a love that is unlike any other in this world. Finally, the center candle representing Christ will be lit during our Christmas service as we rejoice over the fulfilled promise of Jesus' arrival here as a human infant. And we look forward to the future promise of his return. We're excited to see what God is going to do in our community as we celebrate together this wondrous and miraculous time of the year.
Well, I don't know if any of you have ever done, like it's representing the candles, an Advent wreath is kind of what you may have heard of traditionally. But I used to do that with my kids, and it really did help them understand that there's a little bit more to the season than just the guy in the red suit. That's important, but so is Jesus. Well, we want to make it easy for you to do that at home. So out in the lobby when you walk out, we're inviting you to pick up an Advent kit and decorate a plate. And, and then we give you examples and everything. We make it so easy. And then you can take it home. It has devotionals for you to do each week with your family. It's one per family, just one. If you've got five kids like these people down here, we're watching you. Just one. You could take it home if you don't have time, but it does require special markers, so we're going to have them out again next week, okay? So that's our Advent, and then the series is going to be fantastic as we ramp up to Christmas with our Advent series. Um, next thing I want to tell you about is something really, really special to me. Every year at Clinton Township, we have a tradition of our Thanksgiving Eve service. Now, some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, the night before Thanksgiving, I'm busy, I'm doing my turkey. You can stream it online. Maybe you're smoking a turkey. That's what my husband will be doing while he's streaming online. But I'm gonna be right here. You know why? Because I wanna see you guys. And I'm enjoying, like maybe you are, just these fuller lobbies and people coming back and celebrating this, this thankful time. And we're gonna do it a little differently. So if you think, oh, I know what the, like, the Thanksgiving Eve service is like, uh-uh. Nope, it's different this year. We're actually going to have awesome worship like we always do, but then we're going to do a three-part teaching by Adam Karshner, our new pastor, Craig Mays, and me. So it's going to be like a continuous experience through the whole night, and we're super excited about this new way of celebrating and being thankful for everything that we have. So we hope you'll join us at 7 o'clock next Wednesday. So Go prepare your turkeys and your stuffing and everything ahead of time so you can be here. We would love to have you join us. And we will have, we're going we're gonna to bribe you. Apples, I mean, apple cider and donuts after the service. Who can resist that? Probably from Yates that's, or Blake's. I don't know, but they're awesome. So we want to invite you to do that. And then secondly, last year we did, our K-Kids team put together an outdoor nativity, like a drive through Did any of you participate in that last year? If you didn't, you missed out. They had live animals, camels, everything. We're going to do a little differently this year. There'll still be the live nativity outside with the, the manger and the camels and the, and the animals, but we're also going to have an indoor experience. And some of you are going, yes, I'm not going to freeze this year. Is you're going to walk through and the kids are going to make an ornament. We're going to have hot chocolate. There's going to be, they're going to walk through each room and see part of the Christmas story. And then they're going to end up with Santa. They can take pictures with Santa. So we'd love for you to come, but we do want to be prepared. We want to have enough ornaments. We want to have enough hot chocolate. So please register online, kensingtonchurch.org forward slash CT nativity. I get that right? I got that right. Okay. And then I want to point out to you something that we've been doing. We started last week. We showed you a video of what we're doing globally in our world, all the different global partners that we have and what we're doing. And we show you those videos because we want you to know what you are a part of, what your role is in changing the whole world. I mean, for me, that makes me feel so awesome to know that what I can do individually here in my little part of the world is so different when we collectively come together and with our serving and with our giving, we're able to impact our world. So each week we'll be showing you a new video. And this week that you're going to see, the video you're going to see now is about just one person and the change that Jesus did in his life. But before you watch it, I'd love for you to stand up, knock elbows, say hi to somebody you don't know.
there is never a day that goes by that I don't wish you were in my seat. I wish you could experience for a day or a week or a month all the stories that I see that God is writing through you. You know, a lot of what we do is around the world, it's huge, there's credible partners, but so much of the beauty of what Kensington is is Jesus Christ working through you in the lives of individuals all over this region. Every day, every hour, God is touching people in ones and twos and threes, and we get to be a part of that. And when you consider or you make a year-end Christmas gift to Kensington, you're investing in the lives of people that are being changed forever. And some of the common themes of those stories are people that are looking for hope or looking for change, looking for a new way to live. They are finding Jesus Christ, and we get to be a part of it. And today, you get to meet one of those friends, my friend, seeing what God is doing in one life. I came to know Christ at an early age, I'd probably say around seven years old. My aunt and my mother did a good job of keeping me in Sunday school. And not that I was the, the smartest kid, but it's pretty easy when the Sunday school teacher says, you can either burn in eternity or you can live in eternity, walk in streets of gold. Pretty, pretty easy choice. A Christian, a believer, at one point in time, is you're either close to God or you're far away from God. As I became an older teenager, I got far away from God. Going through life uh, my way, not living a life pleasing to God. During that time, you know, I, I started a family and wasn't leading, in my opinion, the way I would lead now. One of the failures was, was, was not having a committed relationship and that resulted into a divorce, something I, I regret to this day. I enrolled into a trade school. At that point in time, the catchphrase was find your passion, do what you love sort of thing. So that's what I was in search for, something just a, just a better life economically. And that rolled into me running into an, a classmate. And I love to speak on the, the power of prayer. So at that point in time, I had prayed to God that helped me get back into church, helped me find a, find a new home. And shortly thereafter, my classmate gave me a phone call and said, hey, my church needs some help in the video department. You know, would you be willing to come and help out? Can't make that up. <laughs> so some people say it's coincidence. I say it's power of prayer. So I listened, went, served, got involved in men's groups, anything that I could do to be a part of the community to, to stick to my faith. I kind of got in that rut of, okay, I'm gonna keep doing these things to please God so I can keep getting the gifts or what we call uh, abundance. 2016, June 2nd, my son and I were out having dinner at a restaurant outside patio and a vehicle struck me. And during that time, I'm like, what happened? I'm like I'm going to church, living the way I'm supposed to, things are going good and then everything just stops. I had a close head injury, torn meniscus, two herniations in my lower back, two bulging discs, two tears, and then all the attributing things that come with that. Uh, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, loss of independence. My life just took a left turn. I was angry, I was bitter, just didn't wanna be here. I can look back at it now and say, that's the best thing that ever happened to me in retrospect, but during that time, that season, and at that point in time, 
everything was taken away from me. 100% dependent on friends and family and, and the people around me. I was really resistant to doing counseling and group counseling. And through that community and accepting what has happened to me, I started to change. The most impactful thing for me was being around other individuals that are like-minded, but that were injured. I ran into an individual and this person was always upbeat, happy, grateful. I could tell that this individual, I would assume, had some type of spirituality with them and got to know this person and same age as me and come to find out that this individual was wheelchair bound since the age of 21. So for 20 years at that age, I got to thinking, I said, man, that would have really crushed me. How is this individual moving forward, finding joy in life? And I'm better off than that person. And it really just resonated with me. It really made me look in the mirror and start thinking, how can I move forward? I can remember saying the prayer, God help me find, a, find another home. I want to get back in the church, want to get closer to you. Shortly thereafter, my barber was cutting my hair, shared with me that his daughter was getting baptized at Kensington. I got excited and I said, man, I'm going to be there. I'm going to support that. Showed up, walked to the door and never looked back. So again, there's another situation of, it could be a coincidence. I'm going to say it's an answer to prayer. I pulled into the parking lot and it kind of looked like a school, like an office structure. I was like, man, this can't be a church. Parking lot was packed. Worship was, was good. And I just had that feeling that I want to come back. Every time that Pastor Danny Cox would preach, I felt like he was talking to me. Every time Andrew Kim would preach, I felt like he was talking directly to me. One of the messages or, or points that's always shared on stage is to get involved in community, to, to connect. And at that point in time, I always felt that I wasn't connected. I ended up meeting uh, Mervet, ended up meeting Basil, we just kind of prayed over my situation because I wasn't really sure where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to connect with people and get serious about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There was a course called Alpha that, that was available online only. With all my history and knowledge of, of being in the faith and being saved and going to church, like, do I really need to take Alpha? Kind of in a cocky, arrogant kind of way. I felt that I was above it. But I took it anyway. I wanted to be a part of the community. I just had that sense that I needed to connect, 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 right? To insulate myself with like-minded people who are serious about moving forward with their, with their walk with Christ. Took the course, and I can honestly tell you that's one of the best things I've ever did. One of the best decisions I made faith-wise. Very special group of people, and we're still connected today. And what I come to find out is that I could have used Alpha back in high school. It would have really answered a lot of questions for me. So I started serving in the hub, kind of like our, our greeter position here. I love the fact that people can come up and ask questions, and I can kind of be a liaison. Sometimes we get into prayer. Sometimes they have questions about events coming in or coming up and just directing them to, to the right places. I'm not here to solve people's problems, but if I can connect you with someone that can help lighten your load, if I could be a resource to say, hey, you know, why don't you check this out? Maybe there's something here for you. I felt like I did what I was supposed to do. It just feels good to help others. It helps me not focus on me. The more I focus on helping others, it just makes my life better. And I would want to encourage 
each and every individual that sees this video, that hears my voice, to jump in. God gave each and one of us gifts and talents, and our gift back to God is to use those to serve him to the best of our ability. And out of joining this community, getting plugged in, connecting with others, I become stronger. But I think sometimes we wait and we ask for something, but we don't do anything about it. You gotta take action. And I would strongly encourage people to, to answer that call. We go through seasons. Whatever an individual is going through, that, that storm's not gonna last forever. It's up and downs, we have peaks and we have valleys. How do you wanna walk through that valley? You can walk through it alone or you can walk through it in community. Me, I'm not doing it alone. I'm not dumping my problems on someone else, but I can call 10 to 15, 20 people and get a response. People that I've met in this community that are willing to listen and be there for me and call me out. I know when people see me walk around this building, I look like I got it all together, but I don't. I'm putting the work in, I'm putting the time in. I'm connecting with community, I'm testing the word, I'm testing the faith and I've answered the call, I jumped in. This building is just a structure. It's the people that, that make it happen. Good morning. So every Sunday between now and Christmas, you're going to hear a story like the one you heard today. Last week, we took you all over the world. If you were here or if you had joined us online, you know we went to Nepal and India and Afghanistan. This is the, the extent that God has allowed us to make impact on the world. But it's also right here at home, as you heard Lawrence's story. Um, nothing extraordinary really in there except there's a man who went through a difficult time who now says, I love how he said, I have 10 or 15 or 20 people that I can call that I know are going to answer the phone if I'm in need. So our mission continues to be, and it has been for 31 years, to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. You heard Lawrence talking about the transformation that's going on in his life, and he's now mobilized. It's at the hub at the Troy campus. That's where that was filmed. And many of you, that's the journey that you're on. And so as we talk about year in giving, and there's no ask in this today except this ask. We know that um, this time of year, we start getting the mail. I'm getting it already, uh, asking about my year-end gift. And sometimes I've had years where I, my year-end gift was to pay my electric bill. <laughs> Other years, we're, we're able to be more generous. So we're just going to ask you to prayerfully consider of all the options you have to be generous that you would consider Kensington as part of that. Maybe move us up the list if God directs you to do that. Because God has uniquely called this community, called Kensington Church, six campuses, to have impact like nothing I've ever seen in my life both locally and globally. And so we're really honored to have you partner with us and we really want you just to pray about it and then the opportunity will come before the end of the year for you to make a decision to give, just to be on journey with us. So, well, I, um, I'm, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not one to exaggerate much. I'm gonna say this. I was just thinking this um, as I was watching that video and thinking about this year that I've been back at Kensington in this role as interim pastor. If I could only give one message the whole year, it's the one I'm gonna give today in terms of what's important to me and what I've learned. I've been in ministry for over 40 years, almost 45 years, and I've made a lot of mistakes and I've taught a lot of things I wish I hadn't taught. Um, the first one message I gave out of seminary, I'm glad they weren't taping back then, because uh, I'm sure it was pretty horrible. But, but as I've grown in my faith, I've grown in my journeys, I've come to understand more the magnitude of who God is, the richness of what we call the gospel, 
what I'm going to share today just happens to be, this is where I've landed personally. I have strong convictions about it, and it just happened to fit in week three of this series. So I'm really excited to share what God has put on my heart today. And I'm actually just going to pray as well. I'm not going to, I don't normally do this, but if you just join me in prayer, I just want to be focused today. So God, um, there's a lot of distractions um, today in my mind. I just pray that by your spirit, you'll give me clarity to communicate what I believe is deeply important to you and to our community. And pray this in your name. Amen. Now, do you guys like stories, like good stories? You know, Jesus was a great storyteller. I'm not a great storyteller, but I love good stories. And, um, and that includes reading all the way from ancient literature to modern literature. But the main genre in our day and age are, is film. It's movies. You know, a, a 90 to two-hour, usually minute journey where you get to see uh, someone go through a transformation are my favorite kind of stories. And what I mean by that is you'll encounter a character early in the story who you don't like. He or she is a jerk. And yet you watch over the course of the story that's being told, something start to happen where they're transformed. And at the end of the story, they become somebody different. Kind of like the cocoon or the, the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. Uh, a great example, every time I think of this is, and, and I realize these movies start to date me now a lot, but the first Star Wars, I saw it, I went to the theater in 1974, saw Star Wars Episode Four. that was the first one, right? Jumped right in the middle of the story, but you have this guy named Han Solo who is this swashbuckling kind of rogue guy, kind of a cowboy, he's going to do his own thing. He doesn't want to get involved in the big story of the Dark Force and Vader and all that stuff. He's in it for himself, he wants to get paid. They come right to that critical moment where they're about to go into battle, and he says, pay up, load up my ship, the Millennium Falcon, and I'm going to get out of here. And he does. And he leaves Leah and Luke and all the rest of them to fight Lord Vader and the Death Star and all of that. So he is a jerk, right? And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of the battle over the intercom, you hear his voice. And you, there he is. He comes screaming back in his ship, and he joins the battle, and he helps them win. And at the end, there's this great celebration where they're all together standing side by side. And you saw a guy go from being in it for himself to entering into the bigger cause, willing to sacrifice his life. I love stories like that. Um, there's another story, and it's not a movie I'm recommending. I have to be careful to say that. It's not a family movie. It's called Gran Torino. It was shot right here in Highland Park. A lot of bad language, a lot of violence in there. But the arc of the story is incredible. Because the character played by Clint Eastwood, man, the, the guy is just absolutely awful. He's mean. He's a racist. The Hmong population has been coming into the neighborhood he's lived in for years. He hates them. He tells them he hates them. He uses all kinds of bad language to talk about them to their face. All kinds of racial slurs. His family doesn't like him. His kids don't want to talk to him. His grandkids are afraid of him. He's just really a bad person. You fast forward an hour and a half later, and he gives up his life for the Hmong um, Teenagers living in his neighborhood are being drawn into gangs. He goes basically to a battle without a gun and gets killed. In the, one of the last scenes of the movie, he's laying on the ground, his arms stretched out like he's on a cross. So to go from hatred to sacrificial love, I just absolutely love stories like that. I think we all do. Why do we like stories like that? And there's a number of reasons, but I think there's something in us that re resonates that change is possible, that I can change, that you can change. The person in your life that you don't like, he or she can change. You know, it gives us a sense of hope about humanity. And here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe that humanity is God's project. His number one project is you. It's me. It's us. And he's in it to change lives. 
It's funny, in the video, I didn't know that they were going to have that line from Lawrence, but Lawrence talks about as a child coming to faith, and it's a lot like my journey, because the choice was burning hell or have eternity, and it was a pretty easy choice. But I'm here to tell you that the good news is much broader than that, much greater than that, much more than that. In fact, a 19th century author, British author named George Eliot, actually a pseudonym, she was a woman, writing under the name George Eliot, maybe because back then people wouldn't buy women's books. That's probably true. But she said this one time. I want you to consider this about your life. It is never too late to be who you might have been. I want to start there because I realize here and those of you that are joined online, there's a lot of regret in this room. I have regret. There's seasons in my life I wish I could do over and do very differently. I can look in the rearview mirror and see the mess that I've made. It's seasons of my life. And so I could just give in to that despair. So could you. What's the point? I'm just this person. I'm never going to be. I can't undo that, whatever. But the idea that it's never too late to have a vision for who you could be, who maybe you always wanted to be. And more important than that is I believe with all my heart that God, who knows every, every one of you by name, he knows every hair on your head, even the bald people. He knows how many you used to have. I wasn't looking at you when I said that, <laughs> bald guy in the front row. Um, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So the first week we talked about being a new creation and co-create, I mean, sorry, co-creators with God. And everything fell apart, yet still God redeems us to make a difference in the world and for our own lives to be transformed. So that's the vision he has for us. He has a vision for you. Do you know that God sees everything in you that you don't see, the potential you have, what could be? I don't care if you're 15 or you're 75 today. And everybody over 75 just feels left out. So the oldest person in the room, if your heart is beating and you have breath in your lungs, God has a vision for your life. Still, there's more that he wants to do and more that he can do. And that's what God is about because humanity is God's number one project. So we're going to dive into the third and final part of this series. We're going to look at what it means to be a new creation. Before we do that, we're going to take a moment to take our offering. This is the ask in our service. But if you're new with us, No arm twisting here. We're glad that you're just here today. But for those of you that call Kensington your home, this is a chance for us to join together our resources so that we can transform our communities in the world. So you can see all the ways we make it easy to give. There's a, you can drop your check off on the way out or you can go to our website or you can use the app. It's uh, really a great honor for us to know that you believe in what we do here, that you believe God is working here and that we partner together. So thank you for that. So as we jump into, jump into the, the final part of this series, I thought the great place to start would be with a bumper sticker. I don't see this anymore, but I saw it for years on many, many cars. Many Christians put this on their car. Um, and you can see it up on the screen. It says that Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. Now, I have a real huge problem with that bumper sticker. I really do. And it's just one word. Because Christians aren't perfect. And it's important to say that. And I think that there have been seasons of life, especially where... Christians are known for being self-righteous. In fact, when they do Gallup polls and they say, when you hear Christian, what words come to mind? It's usually things like hypocritical, self-righteous, judgmental. So we do need to say, we're not perfect. We're far from it. Right? So that's good. And we are forgiven. Praise God. Thank, thank God he forgives our sins. The, the word I have a problem with is the word just. Because what it does is it takes this beautiful thing that God is doing in the world and in our lives and reduces it only to the matter of getting your sins forgiven. And I think that's what Lauren was sharing in his story, that he was introduced to Christianity in a way that it was all about just getting that deal done with God so he wouldn't have to punish you and you would be forgiven. 
But I'm, I'm here to tell you, and th- again, this is the most important thing I've learned in 40-some years of ministry, is that the gospel, what we call the good news, is not just about what happens when you die. It's about what happens while you live. And since I accepted Christ when I was six years old, I've lived a lot of years. Were those wasted years, unimportant years? What was that about for your life? If you've come to faith in Jesus, if you put your trust in him, if you said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, what is his vision for your life? And we use this imagery of, you know, the brokenness of our lives. And Adam talked about this last week, that this is what our lives can look like. They do look like that to some degree. And when God comes in, he doesn't judge us for our brokenness. He says, let me make something beautiful out of your life. Let me stitch it all back together. For what purpose, though? For what purpose? Because if it's only about heaven, if it's only good news about death, what happens at death, then what we're saying is God does this beautiful work and then he puts it on the shelf five years, 50 years, however many years we live until our heart stops beating, it collects dust, and then he whisks it away to heaven. Is that really his vision for our lives? And so we're going to begin with a verse in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that gives a vision for what our life is. And we're having baptisms today, by the way. That's what this tank is for. And we have a number of men and women uh, and maybe some kids that have made the decision to give their lives to Jesus. And baptism represents what we're going to be talking about today. New creation. And water represents, you know, as we, most of you took a bath or shower, I think, this morning. And if not, I hope the people around you don't mind. Um, but we do that pretty regularly because, you know, water cleans us. And so the baptism, when we do this, as a symbol, it's a symbol. It's not actually cleanness, but it's representing what, the work that God has done in making us new. And by the way, I've, this happened in the first service. There are some of you here right now that did not come prepared to be baptized. You're either early on your journey with Jesus or you've, you've just delayed this. And, and I was praying. I was, God woke me up. I feel he woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't like being awake that early. I couldn't go back to sleep. And so I was just up reading and praying. And I felt like uh, some today were going to make the step to come up and get baptized without planning it out. And that happened the first service. We had, we had a young woman that came up to be baptized. So I'm just warning you right now. I can't, I'm not going to twist your arm or try to convince you to do this. But if God is saying it to you, I want you to have the courage uh, to go up. And Tracy's sitting over there. You know, the redhead, the little short. Um, she said I could call her short. Um, there, she's a, she would be one literally any time in the service. If you feel like you want to talk to Tracy about that, maybe being baptized today, you can go talk to Tracy. But here's the verse that gives the vision for our lives. It's much more than going to heaven when you die. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth in the first century. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. New creations. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may not feel all that new all the time. I certainly don't. But something new has begun. Something new has happened. When he, when he came into our lives and began to put us back together, something new has begun. Something new is happening. We're more than forgiven. And as Christians, we, we tend to use a couple words a lot. I mean, at least the tradition I grew up in. We talked about words like, we talked about eternal life. That the whole deal is about eternal life. And then we talk about getting saved or salvation. So I want us to take a few moments to consider those two words. Let's, let's start with eternal life. By the way, Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you have a, if you have a Bible that has um, his words in red, 
Um, look at all the red words and, and count how many times Jesus uses the phrase eternal life. If you understand that he, some of the gospels repeat some of the same stories, it's really only about four times. And then he uses the word save or salvation a few times. What's all the rest of the words about? It's about life now. It's about life and what he calls his kingdom. It's about the here and now. It's not about when you die. It's about now. And so I think we need to wait very much about life now because Jesus spent most of his time talking about that. So let's talk about eternal life. What is eternal life? If you ask me to define it, most of my life I would have said, it's what happens when you die. You live forever with God in heaven. Well, it may include that. It certainly does include that, in fact. But it's much broader than that. Jesus defined eternal life one time. In John 17, 3, he said this. Now, this is eternal life that they may, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. It's in a, being in a relationship with them. That's eternal life. And one writer, Dallas Willard, says that eternal isn't so much about length of time or a destination like heaven. Eternal is a quality of life that God makes available to us by coming into our lives. It's a quality of life that starts now on planet Earth when we come to know him and goes all the way seamlessly forever through eternity. So you don't wait to die to have eternal life. You experience the life of God now here on Earth. That's eternal life. And of those of us that have made the decision to follow Jesus, to give our lives to him, to trust him, are now living the eternal kind of life. Not perfectly like we will one day, but we're in it now. And then the second thing, saved, salvation. This is one of the first verses that I learned as a boy. Young boy, probably many of you learned this verse. John 3.16, but we're going to also read verse 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So what is this salvation about? What does salvation mean? What does it mean to be saved? And I grew up in a tradition where that's what we talked about all the time. We talked about getting saved and getting people saved. What does it mean to be saved? This is where this is helpful. Because if this is your life, it's hard to have much life in this. Broken and put apart. God comes in to save us. To renew us. To make us whole. It's not just about a destination. It's not just about afterlife. It's life right now. The saving, it's, it's a rescuing, if you will. In fact, I think a great metaphor would be that it's, it's kind of more like we're prisoners, we're trapped, we're stuck, we're caught, we're in chains, we're in bondage. And he came to set us free. In fact, here's how Jesus said it in John chapter 8. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How many times have you heard that phrase? I hear it in movies all the time that's nothing to do with God. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, the listeners here were mostly the Pharisees. They didn't like Jesus. They are always trying to challenge him. So they said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And then Jesus replied and said, Verily, truly, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What is Jesus saying here? He's defining sin very differently than I heard it. I heard sin as a category of a list of things that God said, don't do these things. And he's kind of ticked off if you do them. He's willing to forgive you, 
but it's about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. This passage in John gives me a different understanding of what Jesus is saying and what God is saying about sin. He's saying that when I look at your life and I see you acting in certain ways, you are your own worst enemy. You are destroying yourself. You're destroying the people around you. And anybody else here have habits that you wish you could come over, overcome and you've tried again and again and they keep coming back? And you want to be liberated? You even cry out to God, could you just set me free from this? God doesn't, the problem with God, with sin, is not that God doesn't like sin. God doesn't like what sin does to us. He, because he loves us. And so when I, if I cheat in my marriage, or if I cheat on my taxes, or if I rob from someone, or if I just gossip about people, or if I just speak badly, or if I'm just ornery and cranky like Clint Eastwood in that movie, all of that, there's no joy in his life. He's in bondage. We are prisoners of war that need to be liberated. So when Jesus said, the Son of Man came to set you free, and if I set you free, you are free indeed, that's what he came for. And that's what salvation means. It's not just some future thing, it's right now. I need to be saved from myself. My own tendencies, my own self-destructive behaviors, that I need the freedom that only Jesus can be. And here's, here's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is that God wants to pour into my life. But if this is what I'm like, how's that going to work? It's just going to spill. There's nothing to hold it. There's just too much brokenness there. It can't hold anything. But when I'm mended and put together, and what salvation is, is when we step into the life of God, the eternal life, to know him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. When we step into that, then something remarkable happens. And, and this is actually how Jesus said it. He was, uh, he was at the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is an Old Testament feast where they would remember all the years in the wilderness where they wandered, but God provided manna and water. He nourished them. So Jesus goes to the festival, and at the end of the festival, the last day of the festival, we're told that he cried out this in a loud voice. On the last day and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those believed in him were later to receive. And so it looks like this. When we come to him, when we're in Christ as a new creation, he takes all the brokenness and puts it together and begins to make something beautiful. And then the greatest gift of all, and you don't have to wait to heaven for this to happen, happens now. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, you come to me and I will pour my life into you. I will fill you. And I will fill you so much, actually, that it, your life is going to become streams of water that go out to others. That's the transformation he wants to do. If this is really true, and I believe it is, then the gospel message, the good news is that when we turn to him in humility and repentance, in trust and love to him, he says, I'm going to give you myself. My spirit, because that's what John said, John 7, he said, this represents the spirit of God that comes to live within us. So how do we become new creations? Not by trying harder, not by looking at the list of do's and don'ts and trying to not do the don'ts and try to do the do's and put more effort into it. No, it's letting the very life of God come into us and fill us up. You can't do this if this is your life.
And the interesting thing is, like, like Lawrence, I mean, I've shared this story before, but the way I came to faith as a six-year-old was in Sunday school class when the teacher gave a message on hell to six-year-olds and how bad it was going to be. But all we had to do was believe, and if we believed, we would not go there and burn forever. And it was 100% conversion that morning. <laughs> Every single one of us raised our hand, and we believed in Jesus, right? But then I, I would also say, you know, the sad thing was that I, in that environment, then it seemed like after that, it was mostly trying to do the right things and, uh, you know, not disobey God. And it was like the Bible was a rule book instead of a love story of God inviting us into his life. And then he would give himself to us and he would fill us up with himself. Change is not from the outside, it's from the inside. When God's spirit comes within us, he begins to make us a new creation. And this is what baptism represents. And the way we begin the journey is not complicated either. I've talked to so many people over the years when they say, well, tell me how you first came to faith and there's like, there's not one size that fits all. To me, it's, 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 it's critically important and serious, but it's also incredibly simple. When you hear Jesus speak to you and say, follow me, like he did the first disciples, and you, there's something in Jesus that has attracted you and, and you find yourself believing, you say yes to him. And then over time, he works out all that that implies. Well, you're gonna, maybe this is going to be different and that's going to be different. But in the moment, it's not about earning anything. It's just receiving his love, his forgiveness. It's, that's what belief means, to trust him and to follow him. And then life begins to change because we're following him. It's interesting um, that of all the things that Jesus taught about the spiritual life, I think the most important one is in John chapter 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Anyone in me will bear much fruit, and then without me you can do nothing. So it's in him. It's in Christ we're a new creation. It's in him that we bear fruit. It's uh, when he does the work to restore us, it's him pouring his life into us. And things begin to change. Everything begins to change. I, I have a lot of work to do still. I hope I live more years to get more opportunity to see God continue to transform me. But I look at the whole of my life and I can see where he chips away and chips away and chips away. But it never, has never felt like a guilt, hammer, afraid of hell kind of response to God. It felt like a God who says, oh, I want better for you. Um, I remember when I got married when I was 30 years old. Back then, that was kind of late to get married. Um, but I thought my wife really got the good deal because I was a mature adult. So she really won the lottery when she married me. I tried to tell her that all the time. Uh, it didn't work very well. One of the things I discovered about myself early on was that I was incredibly um, arrogant and argumentative about everything. I think because, especially I'd lived single through my 20s, I think I knew the best about everything. And so we would get in these discussions, and I would, if she didn't agree with me, then I would work really hard to tell her she was wrong. And I, was, I took debate in high school. I was on the debate team, so I, I was a good debater. And she would get so frustrated. She'd say, you know, if I listen long enough and let you keep talking, you're going to convince me that black is white and white is black. So I'm just going to walk away. So there was an arrogance that was there. And in fact, with, our, with my in-laws, I remember one time early in the marriage, we were having dinner with them, and we were having a discussion. I thought a nice discussion about something, and eventually everybody was, had left the room, and it was me eating alone. <laughs> like, what's going on here? And she told me later that, man, everybody around the table was wrong, whatever they said. You were just arguing. Man, that's like Clint Eastwood. I look back at that. I don't think I'm that person now. I, well, I still love a good debate, so I'll just tell you that. But... But how did that happen? It wasn't because I read some self-help books. It's that I, I allowed God to fill me. And over time, as I abide in him, as I remain in him, 
For all of us, that's how it works. He makes us into a new creation. That's his vision for us. It's way bigger than just what happens when you die. It's what happens while you're alive. That's the good news of the gospel. And then when you die, there's some pretty good news there as well, right? But what's your vision for your life now? So I I started with a question. I said, um, to be a new creation means what? And I'm just going to very quickly, these are some things for you to ponder in terms of what Jesus actually wants to do in setting us free and making us a new creation. The first thing is he wants to give us a full life. This is one of the verses that we use a lot at Kensington. It's, the, it's John 10.10. 10. He says that, um, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's life now. That's not later. God wants you, each of us, to have a full life. And then Paul, in writing to his young protege, Timmy, said, Timothy, he said, rather than, I just called him Timmy, didn't I? <laughs> We're, he and I are on first name basis. We're buddies, okay? <laughs> Timmy and Craig. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> Anyhow, he was, he was telling Timothy to tell the people that are rich not to put their hope in riches, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Is that how you've thought about God or heard God talked about? He wants you to have fun. He wants you to have enjoyment. He wants you to have a full life. And the reason why he wants you to stop being a slave to sin is that puts you in bondage and keeps all that from you. He wants to set you free to enjoy the life, even in the difficulties of this life, that you, that you can have. And then the second thing is he wants us to become like Jesus. Writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul said that we should follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, know that you're loved, live loved, and then walk in the way of love, just as Jesus loved us and gave himself for us, to walk in the way of love. That's what happens when that pottery is restored, it becomes something beautiful, and that beauty is evident to everybody as we walk through life. I was walking on Friday, I was working in an area where they do some, we do some outreach in, in Manhattan with the homeless, and this woman walked by, she stopped, turned around, and she said, I know you. And she looked familiar to me, so we had this conversation, and she was formerly homeless, she's just got her own apartment. She's really happy, but she said, I met you years ago. I remember you. She said, you're a kind person, and you have a kind face, and I I just said quietly, thank God. I don't know how that happened, (laughs) but I do know how it happened, and I am still a work in progress. Please don't hear any boasting in this. I, there's, there's so much in me that's still broken. Sometimes I don't feel qualified to stand up here and teach because I know inside the stuff that's still to be there, but to see We ought to see some evidence, shouldn't we? That we're more than just forgiven. We're not perfect. We're more than forgiven, though. We're being transformed. And then finally, the last thing, and I'll finish with this. The third thing is that we are to live as ambassadors. Like, this is meant to be, as Jesus said, we would become streams of living water. Like, we fill, this gets filled up, and then it's flowing out. And the way it flows out as we walk in love is that we are representatives of the gospel to the world, the good news of God to the world. I live about 10 blocks from the United Nations in New York City, and so all around us are embassies of all these different countries. And what an ambassador does is represents the interests of one country to another country, or in this case, United Nations to the world. They're bringing the interests of their country to bear on the discussion. So what does it mean to be an ambassador of God? We are representing his interest to this world. And how do we represent it? Here's what it says. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He did not come into the world to condemn you, but to set you free. That's our ministry. We are his ambassadors. You know, many of you grew up in a traditional church where the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, if you grew up Catholic, is something you said. So I know many of you are going to be able to finish this sentence with me. This is just part of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, you will be done. Where? Oh, God God's cares about what happens on earth. It's not just about heaven, right? So when we do this, when we allow him to make us a new, new creation, we bring a little bit of heaven onto earth. We bring justice, we bring kindness, we bring love, we bring forgiveness, mercy, grace, all that great stuff. So he doesn't make this to set it on the shelf, to whisk us away when our heart stops beating. He does that so we can live a full, abundant life, a rich life, a life walking in love, a life changing the world. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that um, this message will burn deeply in my heart, in our hearts, that we would catch a deeper vision of how deeply you care about our lives and our struggles and the bondage we find ourselves in, that you want to truly set us free and that you can set us free. And I pray even in these moments, if there's a man or woman or even a child here in the room right now that is thinking about taking this step, having followed you, having surrendered to you of baptism, that you would move in their hearts to do that now. And God, we're just so grateful now that we can celebrate those that have come uh, to be baptized, that we can celebrate the new life that you make available to us in your name. Amen.
This is David, and it looks like you're all in. Yep. <laughs> so, David, have you um, have you put your faith in Jesus? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him all of your life? Yes. So, David, based on your profession of faith, it's with great joy I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> <You're tall. laughs> Izzy. Hi. Looks like you're all in as well. So have you put your faith in Jesus and is your desire to follow him all the days that you live? So with joy, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Kelly, Hi. thank you for sharing this moment with us. You have you put your faith in Jesus? I have. And is it your desire to follow him all the days you live? Yes. And based on your profession of faith, with joy, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It sounds like you have a fan club out here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Duana, have you put your faith in Jesus? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him all the days you live? Yes. And based on your profession of faith, with joy, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hi, Beth. Hi. 
Looks like you have some joy today. Yes, I do. I feel much better. All right. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Yes, I have. And is it your desire to follow him all the days that you live? Yes, it is. And based on your profession of faith, with great joy, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Student Ministries. Here we are. All right, this is Mackenzie. Um, so, Mackenzie, have you made a commitment to follow Jesus with your life? Yes, I have, Stephen. Awesome. Cool. Then let's do this. All right, we baptize you, you in the name, in the name of, the of the Father, the Father the Son, and the, and the Holy, Holy Spirit.
We're so glad you all were here with us today. I want to share one thing really quick. Quick story. I know I'm a pastor. Promise under two minutes. I won't keep you. Hey, I know that in a room this size, Craig was talking about people feeling the, the pull from God to get baptized. And I just want to tell you my story. When I was six, I was saved, quote unquote, but I wasn't because I thought about rules and regulations and not relationship. And then as a 19 year old, I got saved, but I was baptized as a young boy. And then as an adult, I could feel God going, Adam, you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. I want you to get baptized. And I never did. And I'm sure a lot of you feel that here. You didn't want to come over because it's kind of awkward. And I want to tell you that's the enemy, right? That's the enemy telling you you don't want to do. But I felt that prompting one day. I was in my home as a pastor and I felt it. And I filled the bathtub up with water and I had my wife dunk me because that's what God was calling me to. So listen, if you're here and you feel that, I just want to encourage you, come talk with one of the people after that can pray with you. Go stop and be with somebody at the hub because here's what I know and this is what I want you to take away from this broken and beautiful series. We're all in bits and pieces and that's okay. But what God wants to do is he wants to build you back. He wants to build you back so that he can pour into you so you can pour into somebody else. He doesn't sit us back on the shelf. He wants to use us. And I hope that you will take a step forward in allowing that to happen in your life. Hey, this Wednesday, we're gonna have our Thanksgiving Eve service. It's gonna be my first, so if it's a first for you, come on out. If you've been a lot of times, we'd love to have you back. We're gonna have a night of mostly worship with a couple of little sermonettes, I'll call them in there, by me, Craig, and Tracy. We'd really love to have you, and then after the fact, we're just gonna be together in community and share some, share some cider and donuts, because who doesn't love a little food, right? Well, hey, have a good week. If you would like prayer, come down and let one of our team pray for you. We love you guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you back next time, okay? You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.